turn to Luke chapter 11 this Lord's Day as we pick back up on where we were last week. If you were with us last Lord's Day, you know we began to study through the first part of this chapter where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And this comes out of the context of Jesus was praying. And this is the, the pattern we talked about last Lord's Day, how we see uh, throughout Luke's gospel and throughout all the gospel accounts, this consistent prayer life in the life of our Lord Jesus. And on this occasion, uh, as he was praying, it seems the disciples were looking on and waiting to ask him a question. And then when he finished praying, one of them asked that he might teach them how to pray. And thus he gives what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but this is not the only place we see a prayer like this prayed. We see it as well in a bit more of an extended uh, pattern in Matthew 6, as we see other places. There, there's a consistency, not just in Jesus praying, but in him teaching the disciples and teaching us how to pray. And this is something we certainly need to learn about. And so uh, we looked last week at the beginning of this passage. We're going to pick back up in it this week and look at it further. And so I want to read the whole passage so that we get the context of that. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand. And we stand because this is the holy word of God that God has given to us, preserved for us, that we might learn today. And what we need to learn today is what the disciples needed to learn in their day, how to pray. And so this is what Jesus says. We'll start again in verse 1 and go through verse 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You would pray with me. Father, you are good, you are gracious, you are merciful, and you are kind. 
And even as we come through this account today, we, we do not see a picture of Jesus scolding the disciples for their prayerlessness, their lack of faith. We see him here graciously teaching them to do the very thing they desperately needed to do. And through this word, you, you are teaching us today the same thing. For, for many of us, it is a humbling thing to consider how little we pray, how so often we do not ask, and we do not seek, and we do not knock. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would humble us through your word today, that we might see those very things about ourselves, that we might see how self-sufficient we think we are, and yet how desperately sufficient we are or are on you and your grace and your goodness and your mercy. And Father, as we recognize our need, help us then to come to you in prayer in this day and in the days to come. Help us to grow in this area. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us today how we are to pray to you, our Father, in the name of the Son, empowered by the Spirit. And so help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was recently at the grocery store and experienced something that probably many of you have experienced when you've been at the grocery store. I was standing there in the checkout line, and just in front of me, there was what I assumed to be a mother and her son. This son, as they got closer to the checkout line, uh, saw something he wanted. <laughs> and so he, he picked it up, and he looked to his mother, and he said, Mom, can I get this? And she said, No. And he said, thank you, Mother, for being so willing to hear my request. I'll put this back now. That's not what happened at all. You, you know what happened. Please, Mom, can I get this? And she said, no. And sparing you 30 minutes of this illustration, this went on for some time. His request became more insistent, louder, and at times a bit tearful, until finally this mother was broken and worn down to the point that everyone standing in line behind me knew exactly what she was experiencing. We were just waiting for that moment when she would relent on saying no and finally said, just put it in the cart. At that time, I looked over and saw another child look at his mother and she said, don't even think about it. <laughs> we've all been in a situation like this. Perhaps We've been the one saying no, we've been the one relenting, or maybe we've been the one begging and pleading and asking, please, 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 please. Or we've been the onlooker, that this is something we are familiar with. We, we know what it is to be in a situation like this. Well, as we come to Luke 11, uh, Jesus is not staying now at Kroger, <laughs> uh, but he is presenting to the disciples a familiar illustration, a, a picture of what it is for someone to be in such desperate need that they will beg and they will plead and they will beg and they plead until the person they are making the request of finally relents and gives them what they want. And he is using this to teach us about prayer. And so before we get to that lesson, just again, a reminder of where we have been as we've looked at this passage. It began again, as I mentioned, with the disciples making this request of Jesus to teach them how to pray. And then we see in verse 2, Jesus gives them a pattern for prayer. We talked about this last Lord's Day. 
Jesus is not simply saying to them, here is the prayer you are to always pray. Say these words and only these words. Memorize this, recite this, and there you have it. Although we should memorize the Lord's Prayer because the very reason Jesus is giving it to us is so that we might know how to pray. And we have before us this pattern of prayer. And so Jesus says, we begin with praying, Father, hallowed be your name. We, we praise God for who he is, for who God's word tells us he is. In fact, the way we see Jesus praying here, as we talked about last Lord's Day, is a word-focused prayer. He is praying in response to what God's word teaches us. And we are to pray the same way. Jesus prayed the Bible. We should pray the Bible. God has spoken to us through his word. We respond to him as we pray. And as we pray, Jesus says we begin our prayers by recognizing who God, who God is, what his word tells us of him, not just of him, but his kingdom, which we are praying will come and will overwhelm the darkness of the world around us, the kingdom of the enemy. And so for God's kingdom to come, this other kingdom must be defeated. This is how we are to pray, Jesus says. We are to pray for God's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Day by day, we are to pray for provision. Jesus here is even exposing something about our hearts where so often we don't pray for provision because we believe we are so self-sufficient. He is rooting these things out, even in our prayer. And then, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. How do we seek forgiveness for sin? We first need to understand what sin is. How do we understand what sin is? We open up the word. The Spirit reveals and teaches these things through the Word of God. And so we see this gospel-centeredness in how we are to pray. And then he concludes this pattern for prayer by saying, and lead us not into temptation. We desperately need God's protection. We need God's guidance. Least we walk according to the ways of this world. The, the world, the flesh, the devil. The, these are the influences all around us. And so he is moving us the direction of what we see the psalmist speaking of the blessed man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We are to pray that God would help us not to do those very things as well. Lead us not into temptation. He gives us this model for prayer. But he does not end his teaching about prayer with verse 4 because he goes on to teach in what we've read today. And so that's where we'll pick up in verse 5, with the first observation you have there before you in your outline. First, I want us to see, number one, that Jesus wants us to recognize our desperate need in prayer. He wants us, I believe, as he illustrates here, he wants us to see that, that, that we are the begging child in the checkout line. <laughs> that, that we are the one going to the friend, asking and pleading and begging for this provision. That that should be our disposition in prayer. We need to learn how to beg. So we see here the illustration he gives. Again, verse 5, he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. Now, I understand that this illustration doesn't quite connect with us today. In fact, I would imagine that if I showed up on your door at midnight or you showed up on my door at midnight, we probably would not be talking about loaves of bread. <laughs> that this is a bit foreign to us. And yet, in the context and understanding this ancient Near East culture, 
This was not such a foreign illustration. In fact, I believe this was an illustration that when Jesus gave it, immediately, if they were to look to themselves as the one asking for that bread, what they would be recognizing was their desperate need in that moment. And so let me give you a more modern illustration. You're in charge of a bereavement meal at Bloomfield Baptist Church. And you have made the calls and you've asked the folks to bring the food and here's the time they need to bring it. And, and you've heard from the family of the bereaved. And there's going to be a, 120 people that show up at this meal. And so the time comes, the funeral's happening, people are supposed to be bringing the food, but nobody's bringing the food. And before you know it, people are showing up in our Family Life Center at Bloomfield Baptist Church, and a hundred or so people walk in, and there's the tables, and there's the chairs, and there's the salt, the sweet and low, and, and all that stuff, and tablecloths, and everything looks good. They brought the flowers over from the funeral home. Everything is set for a meal, but there's empty tables. Now, a few of you are breaking out in cold sweats right now. A few of you don't have any idea what goes on for a bereavement meal. But what's happening here is someone is recognizing a need very quickly. So I can guarantee you if anything like that were to happen at Bloomfield Baptist Church, you would have a train of cars going as fast as they could to Blazers and buying every piece of chicken they got. You would have people pleading and going to great lengths to get food on those tables because they would recognize there is a need here and I am responsible to meet this need. That is the context here. In this culture, and this context, when a friend of yours was on a journey and they showed up at your home, and even if it was the middle of the night, your responsibility was to take care of them, to provide for them, to have a place for them to lay down and rest, to have food to set before them, Thus, in these contexts, in these cultures, you would always have something there for them. And some of you, if they'd have been to different parts of the world, you have seen this kind of hospitality as I have. And so Jesus is saying, if you're in that situation, and for whatever reason, you don't have anything to set before this friend, you're going to go to great lengths to go and get something. And so you're going to beg, and you're going to plead, and you're going to ask, and you're going to seek, and you're going to knock until you... Get what you need to put in front of this person. He is giving this illustration so that they, his listeners, so that we, his listeners, might understand that to pray, as Jesus teaches us to pray, we need to understand what desperate need we have in our life. And the reality is, is this is a problem for many. We are coming up not long from now. On Christmas, I realize it's October, but if you've been in a store, you know that since July, they've had the Christmas stuff up. And if it has not happened already, at some point, you will have likely a family member say to you, what do you want this year? And for many of you, you will say, or someone will say to you, you know what, I, I don't need anything. I got everything I need. And the, the longer you go about this thing and the older you are, you, you certainly do. We, we live in a, a blessed part of the world. We, we have everything we need. And so, so many of us, I, I don't need anything. I have everything I need. And that's all good and that's all fine. But we need to be careful that we don't carry that same disposition when we go before God in prayer. And the reality is many of us do. We don't ask and we don't seek and we don't knock because we don't recognize how desperately we need our sovereign God to provide for us. And so Jesus, even in this pattern of the Lord's Prayer, he is 
teaching us to recognize our need. We first need to understand who God is. And how do we know who God is? He has revealed it to us in his word. So how do we learn of his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his forgiveness and his sovereignty? We learn when we open up his word and we respond to his word in prayer. So Jesus says, you want to see your need? Open up the word and see who God is. You need to understand who God is. Because left to yourself and left to myself, we have a a very de-escalated view of God. We, We minimize who God actually is. And we maximize, we escalate who we are. If we're careful, that, that's how we go to God in prayer. Jesus says, no, no, no. We go understanding rightly who it is by opening up his word, where we then learn what it is to pray. Hallowed be that name. Holy be your name. We need to understand these things. We are in a desperate need of this. Not just that. We, we are in a need. You can just walk through this. We, we need to recognize what God's kingdom is, what God's will is, what God's design and desire is. How do we know that? We open up his word and we see it. And then when we see that the tragic news of our day, when we see the kingdom of wickedness and darkness moving forward, then we know and understand we are to pray against these things. We are to pray for light to shine in the darkness. And so politicians will gather and try to solve the world's problems. The military leaders, even now, are sitting down and designing plans, and those things are right and good. They need to happen, and God uses that. But we, who are not the politician, and we, who are not the military leader, we have not just an opportunity, we have a calling to be engaged in these world events on our knees, praying for God's kingdom, and praying against the kingdom of this world, and praying for light to overwhelm the doctors, and praying that even in the darkest days on this planet, that the gospel of Jesus would shine and go forth. These are the things God tells us to pray for, but we begin by understanding our desperate need, and the world's desperate need, and how we are then to meet this need by praying. We need forgiveness, but some of us don't realize that need for forgiveness because we think we're doing pretty okay. How do we recognize what sinners we are? How do we see our depravity? We open up the Word, and God shows us these things. But notice that the illustration that Jesus is giving here, it begins with understanding that we are the one in need. He's not giving us this story so that we might think about how we would respond to the person knocking on the door. He's saying we need to be the person knocking on the door. And in that, we need to learn to be persistent in our knocking, which brings us to that second observation before you. Number two, Jesus wants us to be persistent in prayer. He wants us to be persistent in prayer. So here Jesus gives a picture of a man who is persistent. We look around and we see pictures of a little boy in a grocery store who is persistent. Here, Jesus says it this way, verse 9, he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. He does this in the context of this man he's just referred to and said, listen, that neighbor is not going to get out of bed and help him because he's his friend. He's going to do it, he says, because of his impudence. That that word means his, his shamelessness in asking. That there's no pride there. That there's no concern there. That this man's not sitting on the in the doorway saying, well, gosh, I, 
probably going to bed, and I want to wake him up, and I want to maybe somebody else is up. Maybe I'll just kind of walk through town till I see a a light in the house and a candle burning. I'll knock on that. I maybe I you know maybe I can maybe no no. There's no shame. There's no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no embarrassment. There's just a man who recognizes his need, and in order to see that need met, he is persistent. And Jesus calls us to the same persistence. As we ask, as we seek, and as we knock. You know, just a note here that does help us understand. These, these words, these verbs, there's, there's a tense here. It's the present active imperative. And what that means is that Jesus is telling us to do something repeatedly in an ongoing way. You, you might think of it this way. You go to the doctor this week. You have your checkup. They do the labs, they do the blood work, and the doctor says, listen, you, you need to cut back on the salt. You got your sodium's off the charts. I, I need you to cut back on your salt. You say, okay, I'm going to do what the doctor says. You're driving back. Lord's blessed you with a doctor that's near Chick-fil-A, so you go by Chick-fil-A, and you say, okay, the doctor said I need to cut back on my salt. Hey, don't, don't put salt on the waffle fries. Make them large, but don't put salt on them. So you eat your waffle fries without the salt. You go home. Somebody in your family says, had the appointment. go, appointment went great. Doctor say you need to do anything? Yeah, he said to cut back on my salt. I've already done it. I went and had lunch. I cut back on my salt. So from here on out, I can do whatever I want. Because he said cut back on my salt. I cut back on my salt. Now I'm done. Now it's gone. No, that's not what the doctor is saying. He's saying keep cutting back on your salt. Not just once. Not just twice. Every time you eat, don't put the salt all over it. That this is an ongoing command. And Jesus in the same way says we need to ask and keep asking. We need to seek and keep seeking. We need to knock and keep knocking. Thus, he gives the illustration of persistence. And then he goes on to say, you need to be persistent. Be persistent in your asking. And he says if we do this, he says ask and it will be given to you. James chapter 4, we read, you do not have because you do not ask. And so we, I, perhaps we, tend to come to passages like this and, and we put all these pre-qualifiers on it. We'll ask, but I probably shouldn't ask for this, this, this. We, we, we narrow it so much out of fear, of disappointment, out of fear of how God's going to respond. For whatever reason, we, we, we don't ask. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Fundamentally, God's telling us through the Lord here, you need to ask. And you need to keep asking. And you need to keep asking. You need to keep asking. And he says if we'll ask, he'll give it to us. But he also says in James 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. And so that means there are things we can ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and plead and plead and beg and beg for, and God's going to say no. And one of the reasons he say no, because the thing we're asking for is contrary to the very will he has revealed to us in his word. God's not going to respond to your prayer by giving you further allowance to sin or further empowerment to sin. And honestly, there's things I've prayed for and likely things you've prayed for that as we grow and mature in our Christian life and as we walk through God's Word, we very quickly say, oh wait, that, that is completely contrary to the will of God. 
but sadly, so many of us, we, we, we look at prayer like we look at this you know, magic eight ball. Well, I'll just ask, well, I think, well, I'll shake it another way. Well, maybe I'll turn it upside down. Well, maybe I'll do this until I get the answer I want. And God says, no, you're, you're going to ask and ask and ask, and, and then you'll receive, but you may not receive what you're asking for because the very thing you're asking for may be very contrary to what God's will is. And so we don't have because we don't ask, or we don't have because we ask for the wrong thing. We need to understand that what Jesus is teaching us here is not ask, and it will always be a yes. He says, ask, and you will receive. And we may receive a yes, or we may receive a no, or we may receive a not. And what we receive is based on the will of God, which at times, friend, is a complete mystery to us and will be a mystery to us until we day. And, and what becomes problematic in our lives is when we start to view God as we view ourselves. Well, if I were God, I would say yes to this. If God is really good, then he would say yes to this. So therefore, if God doesn't say yes to this, then God is not good. As if we have a better mind than God's mind. And yet the scripture says, no, no, God is great. We are not. And we cannot understand fully the mind of God. And so we are called in prayer to trust. And as we trust to ask and to ask and ask, because we don't know what the answer is going to be. Our call here clearly is to be persistent and to ask and it will be given. It may be a yes, it may be a no, it may be a not yet, it may be something else according to the sovereign will of God. And then he says with that further, seek and you will find. Well, what if you seek and you don't find? Keep seeking. I mean, have you ever lost something of value? Have you ever lost something important? You ever lost your keys, which you probably have a spare set of them. You probably don't just throw your hands up in the air and say, you know what, I got another set, no big deal. I lost my wallet, well, I can just order new, all this stuff. My goodness, have you tried to get an ID in the state of Kentucky? I think it's easier to walk across the Atlantic Ocean than it is to get an ID in the state of Kentucky. No, when you lose these things, they are valuable to you. You will miss every appointment. You will rearrange your day. You will turn the house, the car, the yard, the town, whatever it is upside down because you want to find this thing that's important to you. And yet, how do we so often pray? Five seconds before me. Oh, you know, I need to pray for this thing. Well, I'll, just, I'll pray for it real quick. Here's my, my five minutes of prayer, my ten minutes, or whatever it is. I'll, I'll pray here. And what we so often lack is this persistence of seeking and seeking and seeking. Because we, we live in a, a world where you lose something, just get something else. Something breaks by another. Jesus says, no, you, you need to keep seeking, and you need to keep looking, and if you will seek in this way, you will find. Again, we may not find what we wanted to find. But what God wants us to find is his will. And one of the ways we find God's will is through our prayers. We read from 1 John 5 earlier. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. So... Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open. So does that mean that I can just, you know, 
see a car commercial, and man, I really like what I just saw. I, Lord, I would like that 2023, you know, Yahoo Blitz with all the stuff, whatever it is that came on the TV. I asked, and so now I'm going to say, no, that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. If we ask according to his will, but, but, but what do we do there when we don't know his will? One of the ways we learn his will is through asking, and through seeking, and through knowledge. Years ago, I wanted to be a missionary overseas. I believe that God's call on my life was to be a missionary in Eastern Europe, both when I was a student and single, and when Tanya and I got married, we had some time to spend in certain areas of Eastern Europe, and God just burdened my heart for those people, and, and I, as best I can understand, this was God's will, and so we, we started going through the process, and we started interviewing with IMB, and we started filling out all the forms, and and as best I knew, this, this is what I was trusting was the will of God. But I didn't know if it was the will of God. And so along this way, we're praying and we're praying and we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking. And, and eventually that asking and seeking and knocking resulted in a no. And that's when God's will became more clear. And yet at that point, we still didn't know the will of God. And so we prayed along that way. Well, God, if this is not your will for us to go this place and be missionaries there, where would you have us go? And so we prayed for guidance and we prayed for wisdom and we talked to others who gave us godly counsel. And all of those things 13 years ago led us to come here to Bloomfield Baptist Church. I was thinking about this this week as I got a text message from one of our church members. Joanne Howard texted me. She had found a newsletter article from when the church had voted to call me as the senior pastor 13 years ago this week, 179 to 2. So 179 of you knew God's will, and two of you didn't. And they're probably long gone by this point. <laughs> How do we know the will of God? We pray, and we seek, and we knock, and, and we continue to pursue it. And as we do these things, there's times when we do them according to a very clear, revealed will of God that God has made clear in His Word. This is your will for me, God. Your will for my sanctification is that I flee these things you've told me to flee. So, Lord, help me to flee these things. You've said this is what it is to walk according to the flesh, and this is what it is to walk according to the Spirit. So help me to flee this and this and this and this, because these clearly are not your will, and help me to pursue this, this, and this, because these clearly are your will. I've got a person that I don't like, or I've got a grudge with, or they've got a grudge with me, and there's an issue here, and there's a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, Jesus said here in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So the will of God is that we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, that we repent of our sin, and that we are reconciled to one another. That's the clear will of God. Are you forgiving one another? Then you're in God's will. Are you harboring unforgiveness? That's not God's will. There are things in His Word that are clearly His will. There are things in His Word we don't know. Am I going to be a missionary in Eastern Europe? Am I going to be a pastor in Bloomfield? I don't know. And so I pray and I seek and I pray and I seek. And then sometimes we don't know the will of God until we're in the will of God. And along the way we are praying and we are seeking and we are knocking. And we are persistently doing these things, Jesus says to us. And so He says, recognize our need. Stop being so desperately self-sufficient. And as we trust in Him, be persistent in prayer. And then finally, the third observation, number three. 
Jesus wants us to be expectant in prayer. Verse 11, now he gives another illustration. What father among you, if he asks his son, or excuse me, if his son asks him, his son asks for a fish, well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Now, Jesus gives, I think, rather absurd illustrations to make the point here. And you don't have to be a father to get this. And he's saying, if a son comes to a father and the son says, you know, Dad, I, I'd really like fish. I know you were out on the Sea of Galilee all day, and I saw those nets were full as you were coming in and cleaning everything. And, you know, I've been sitting around here waiting for you to come back, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hungry, and I'd, I'd like to fish. Dad's not going to look around, turn up some rocks, take a serpent, throw it in his hand. If he does, he's crazy. He's a terrible father. He said, that's not what fathers do. Son wakes up and comes to his dad. He said, I'm kind of hungry. I, I think I'd like an egg this morning. Father says, well, let me see what I can do. He puts a live scorpion in his place. That's a crazy dad. That's a bad dad. That's a terrible dad. And Jesus says to this listen, you are evil, wicked people. When you get this, does the son ask the father gives? Maybe the father doesn't give every time they're in the checkout line at Kroger, but I was on vacation a couple weeks ago with my daughter Caroline experienced vacation dad. Vacation dad says yes to everything. You want that? I want one too. You want ice cream? Because I sure want ice cream. Vacation dad says yes. He says here that the countenance of a father is to do good for his child. Now, now, some of you, you don't have good fathers. You didn't have a good father. This might fall short. But you recognize that God desires fathers to be good. And that the heart of a good father is to give good things to their child. And then Jesus says, if, 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 if the best father out there knows how to give good things, he knows it as a wicked, depraved sinner. And if a wicked, depraved sinner knows how to give good things, how much more? So Jesus here is not saying that the father is the dad on vacation or the father is the dad in the check-in line. He's saying how much more? Beyond what you and I can imagine. How much more? You get the greatest picture of the father you can get and keep on it. Because the picture that Jesus is giving us of God, is not of a man who gets woken up in the middle of the night and because we bug him so much and so often, he finally gets out of bed and says, okay, take the bread and get away from me. Just stop bugging me. Now, he doesn't give that illustration to teach us about God. He gives that illustration to teach us about our need and our need to bed. But here, here he points us to the Father and who the Father is. And he says, our heavenly Father, Loves to give us things. He rejoices to give us It brings him glory to give us good things. So, how then do we wrestle with the reality that there are times that we ask and we seek and we knock, and that which the Lord gives us, we don't feel is very good? There's a mystery. But I think part of the answer to this mystery is that what we deem is good in the moment is not what the greater good is. 
that, that God truly does have good for us. And that's why when we pray that the cancer will be healed and the cancer is not healed, we take comfort that one day the cancer will be healed. And that when we pray that God will heal our child and God doesn't heal our child, we take comfort because one day God will heal our child. Because we are looking towards that which God tells us of and the day that will come when all these things, every single one of them, every mark of the fall, every scar of sin on this planet, one day God will redeem all things. And sometimes in His goodness, He takes the cancer. And sometimes in His goodness, He heals the child right there. But we don't go to God demanding our way. We go to God trusting that His way is good and His way is best. Pastor Tim Keller, who not long ago passed away from cancer, said it this way on a number of occasions. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or He will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. Friends, we don't know everything he knows, but we know some of what he knows because he's revealed it to us in his word. And what he has taught us and called us to in this passage today is to pray. And to pray persistently. And to pray expectantly. Expecting God to answer us. Some of us are so rightly concerned about the health and wealth gospel and the name it and claim it gospel, that we've gone so far to the other end that we won't name anything. That's not the will of God. He wants us to name it. He wants us to ask it. He wants us to seek it. He wants us to knock according to it. We don't know what the other side of that is, but we learn as we pray. And so I hope that we will indeed do these things as we walk according to God's will. If you would now join me in prayer, let's stand together and let's pray together. Let's ask and seek and knock together.